Come on, make some noise for the king. The Bible says make a joyful noise. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. If you'd stand with me, we'll begin by doing our declaration. We'll read it together. Here we go. Lord, today, by faith, we declare that we're walking in the manifestation season. And as your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We live under the anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Give God some praise. Amen. You may be seated. Praise the name of the Lord. Tonight, I'm going to get right into the word of the Lord. Last Sunday night, I told you I probably wouldn't be long, and I think I kept my word pretty good, but whatever I didn't spend last week, I want to spend it tonight, okay? So I want to dig in a little deeper tonight. Uh, tonight, I think this message is a timely message due to the fact of what there's a thread that God has uh, that he's weaving together to speak to this body. And sometimes it's correction, and sometimes we talked last week, it's instruction, and sometimes it's warning, and sometimes it's just alerting the body of Christ to the enemy's plans. And tonight we're going to attack the enemy's plans uh, based upon the pastor. You know, he's preached on temptation, and he's preached on those six spirits. And last Sunday night, you here, I preached on the power of influence. And I think what God wants me to preach on tonight is timely and fitting. That's going to just tie together all of those messages. Uh, he's preached on six spirits that in the last days will be faced. And he did state that he said there are other spirits. And there is one more I want to preach on tonight that I want to talk to you about that is very relevant and very current in our society today. And we're going to talk about that spirit tonight and address it and, and conquer it tonight and alert the body of Christ to what the enemy's up to. So... Uh, I want to preface before I get to my actual scripture, which is Luke 15, verse 11 through 18 is where I'll be going. And you can remain seated for the reading word. But I want to preface Numbers 22, the passage of scripture. And in that passage of scripture, you'll find Balak, the king of the Moabites, hires Balaam to curse Israel, but God won't let him. Because there's a principle. The enemy can't curse what God has blessed. Now, that's going to tie into the rest of my message tonight, but I want to go now to a very familiar passage of Scripture, Luke 15, verse 11 through 18, and I want to read this to you. Now, immediately, many of you recognize that Scripture, that this passage has to do with the prodigal son, and many, immediately some of y'all are saying, well, I've heard this message before, but don't shut me down too early. Let's glean something new from the Word of God tonight. So let's read it. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portions of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with righteous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him to the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. 
I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before, and before thee. I'm going to ask if, uh, Brother Chuck, would you pray over tonight's message, please, for me? Thank you. Amen. Well, tonight I'm going to be dealing with the Spirit, and I'm fixing to do warfare with it. It's become a very dominant in our culture, and it's not of God, and it's called a restless spirit. Now, that statement alone should have just showed a lot of you this message is going to be more relevant to you than you think, because some of you just started to begin to wiggle in your seats. Why? Because that spirit just took notice that I'm talking about it, and it's starting to be concerned and curious and nervous as to what God is fixed to say about it, and it should be. That spirit has been at work for far too long and not dealt with so subtle for so many years, but it yet it's been so effective of our enemy. But God declares tonight it's not going to work no more. I'm fixing to expose it for what it is. You see, you've been affected by it, but you've never recognized it has been going, what's been causing you so much trouble in your life. You've been thinking it's natural. Oh, no, this thing we're talking about tonight is spiritual. Why, you've been thinking that it's because you see so many other people just like you dealing with the same thing and how right you are. There are a majority of people in our society today that are dealing with the same problem, too. That's our problem. We always think that the majority is right. If everybody's doing it, it must be right. No, let me help you. The truth is there's just a lot of people who got it wrong. The majority is not always right. This spirit is so rampant, it's reached the majority of our culture. And if you haven't noticed, our culture is changing rapidly. There's, there's no such thing as waiting anymore. They want it now. As far as commitment is concerned, they can't be faithful anymore. Why? It is a restless spirit. But let me sum it up. It's a microwave. If it feels good, do it. Never stick to it. Evolving society driven by a restless spirit, and it's not of God. And it brings forth cursing and not blessing. So let's dig into it and see if the Word of God agrees with me. We have here a father in our text that has two sons. The only other character named in this text is a nameless man in a far-off country that the youngest son attaches himself to during the time of his adversity. So in this text, we have four expressed characters and one implied character. His name is never mentioned, and no practical reference is made to him, but there is this character who is implied in this passage we need to talk about. And I'll name him. His name is Satan. He's never in the forefront of public being viewed, but he's there. He's hidden. He's subtle. He's undermining. He's plotting to destroy God's people, and he always wants to rob them of their blessings. His strength is when he remains anonymous, invisible to the natural eye. He does his best work in the shadows behind the scenes. So although he's not expressed in the passage, he is implied. So we have a certain man who has two sons. And the younger of the two says to his father, give unto me the portions of good that falleth to me. In other words, give me my inheritance. Now we all know when it's most likely when you will receive your inheritance is when your father dies. But this father is still living, very much alive. Now because he's asked his father for his inheritance, his portions of good, we presumptuously assume he's a very greedy boy. But I want to clear up that assumption a bit right here. That young man wasn't just about being greedy. This is not a rags-to-riches story. He's not somebody from the poor side of town. His father, by description, was apparently a very wealthy man. This young man has not been raised in some impoverished home. 
This passage makes reference to him having servants in his house. So he's actually a young man who was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He wasn't coming to his father asking for money so he could change his standard of living. Asking his father for his possessions wouldn't make him any richer than he already been because he was a blessed young man. He already had servants. He had nice clothes. He had a nice house. He ate well. He had people waiting on him hand and foot. So the problem was he wasn't satisfied with just the blessings of the house. He wanted to control, of the, control the house too. He wanted to have power. So we're not looking at a greed or a lust for money as much as we're looking for at lust for power. He not only wanted money, he wanted to control the money. He figured as long as he was in this house, he could have money, but he couldn't control it. He could no longer wait patiently for control. He believed he could do such a better job with it. He wanted it, and he wanted it now. Just being blessed just was not enough for him. He was saying, Father, even though you've blessed me, it's not enough anymore. Just give me control of mine so I can do what I want, when I want, however I want to. There's got to be more to life than this. This is a restless spirit. And so many people have trouble handling blessing. The boy was saying, give me it. I can do so much more with it outside of this house. This house has boundaries. This house has rules. This house has unnecessary structure. I don't need all that. I need to be free, never realizing those were the things that assured him of blessing, the things that assured him of his freedom. Independency does not ensure blessing. You can't be independent and be married at the same time. Dependency is what unites and brings the right sources together. Independency is what divides oneself from needful sources necessary to assure blessing. Now, I want you to notice a detail or two. It was the younger son who came to the father asking for his part, not the older son. But the Bible says the father divided unto them his living. So even though the younger son made the request, because of this, the father divided into both sons. Here, you want yours? You might as well go ahead and get yours too. But how they handled what was given to them was totally different. It's important to notice the younger boy got blessed and the older boy got blessed. The younger took his and after a few days bailed and yet the older boy stayed in the house. Isn't it funny how folks treat blessings differently? I know of two young girls their father passed away. They both received an inheritance. One spent hers within two years, and the other one probably still has the very first penny she ever got. Some people can receive a blessing from God. It'll raise their standard of living, and they'll be endued with spiritual power and authority, and still they always remain humble. But yet there's other folks, when they get two dimes and nickel, they start acting totally different. Like all of a sudden they don't have time for you. Or, or they're now, they're a little bit better than you. They can't handle authority, and they can't handle a blessing. It goes to their head, and they get all puffed up, and they get prideful. One good blessing, and they can't even speak to you. You know what I'm talking about. You know, they finally get a dress that costs them $100, and it's like, girl, back off. Please stay away from me. I don't know you. See, the younger brother exemplifies this situation. He received his blessing, and it wasn't long till he was gone. Why? He had a restless spirit. Beyond this house, there's a world out there, he thought, and I'm going to go conquer the world. Now, before I go any further about this passage, there is a doctrine I want to interject that will be relevant to my text. 
and it's implied in it, is the doctrine of Balaam, the one mentioned in the book of Revelations. The Bible declares the doctrine of Balaam is a doctrine that God hates. For those who aren't familiar with this doctrine, I want to introduce it to you because it's subtle. It's at work in our passage. If you'll stay with me, I'm going somewhere with this. The doctrine of Balaam is Satan using someone or something to tempt God's people into cursing themselves. As in the case of this passage I mentioned in my opening, that Balak employed Baal, Balaam to put a curse on the nation of Israel. Upon Balaam disobeying God, he ended up cursed himself. He couldn't curse Israel because God had blessed them. You can't curse what God has blessed, and as a result, Balaam became cursed himself. You're not to touch God's anointed. Based upon that fact, you need to know today, if you are blessed by God, you don't have to live in a fear of being cursed because hell can't curse you what God has blessed. Look at someone and say, I'm blessed. Sometimes we are timid to tell someone I'm blessed. Oh, but we don't mind telling someone, hey, look at my $2,000 diamond ring. But so often we can't affiliate with the words that God has blessed me with. After all, it was Bob who went and bought it and placed it on your finger. But you can't recognize it was God who placed Bob in your life and gave Bob a good-paying job so that Bob could afford to buy and give it all to you. All too often, we brag more about the blessing than we do the blesser. And from time to time, you need to let people know you're blessed, and it doesn't take a $2,000 ring to validate it. You were blessed when you woke up this morning with breath in your body, and you still got your spouse, you still got your kids, and you still got your grandkids. You're blessed you got a job to go to, whether it's a good job or a bad job, you got a job. And you got a car, whether it's a new car or an old car, you're blessed because you got a car. You got a lot of money or you're barely getting by, at least you're getting by. See, it was Paul who said, I've learned to be content in whatever state I find myself in, whether I'm abased or I'm abounding, whether I got plenty or I don't have enough. He says, I am blessed. You see my shirt? It don't have a Nike symbol or that little duck on it. That's okay with me because I consider myself blessed just to have a shirt on my back. I wish I would have known all this when I was growing up and going to school. See, because in school, the name on your shoes mattered. At least I was made to believe that. At a young age, probably hasn't changed. My address even mattered because where I lived determined who I could hang out with. Where I grew up at on the poorest side of town, it restricted me from certain opportunities. Yet knowing what I know now, I was still blessed way back then. I had a family that loved me. I still had friends. I wasn't born crippled. I didn't starve to death. It might have been cornbread and milk for supper, but I was alive, and I was blessed. You see, I had more fun as a child with making something out of nothing than these young kids of today who have everything and act like they don't have nothing. I remember having an Xbox when I was little. You say, no way, way back then. Oh, yeah. It was a cardboard box, and we drawed an X on it so we could see it, and we'd throw rocks at it and see who could hit it first. It was an X box. Amen? I was so blessed. See, there is power in being blessed when you understand what blessed is. That all that stuff, cars, houses, money, that's just symptoms of being blessed. But that's not the root of being blessed. 
Because the real truth of the matter is you can be broke, busted, and disgusted, and you can still be blessed. <clears throat> you can have to ride a cab. You can have to wear your sister's shoes and carry your mama's old purse with nothing in it but a brush and come to church and still be blessed. For a man's life does not consist in his abundance of the things he possesses. Blessed goes deeper than what a CPA can account for or what you can hang in your closet, or what you can carry to the cleaners, or that you can take to the mechanic to fix. Blessed goes deeper than things. Blessed isn't physical or tangible. It is an invisible state of being when the favor of God is on your life. And hell has a tough time trying to defeat you when you are blessed. Because at that time, it's when no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Amen? Hallelujah. When the enemy is throwing his best shot at you, but you're still standing after all these years. If you haven't ever been through hell and back, you don't even know what I'm talking about tonight. But I believe there's some old soldiers of the faith in here that could stand and testify. I am an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and the words of my testimony. I am blessed. If you're here, stand up and give God praise and signify to the devil. I'm still standing. I'm blessed. I'm going blessed going in. I'm blessed coming out. I'm blessed and I'm highly favored of the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. You may be seated. There are many definitions for blessed. One of the definitions for blessed is happy. Happy's okay, but it's a little weak for a definition of blessed. Because happy comes from the Latin word hap, where we get the word happen. So something has to happen for us to be happy. Bingo, that's it. But I want you to know you can be blessed when nothing's happening. You can be blessed simply for the fact, although nothing has happened, you know something is going to happen. How many of you get, would get excited when you call the lady at the tourist office and you book your cruise? Why, you haven't even went yet, but you know it's coming. It's three months away, but you're telling everybody, you're leaving, it's on its way. Feeling all blessed, just knowing it's coming. See, you can be like the little woman sitting at the bus stop waiting on the bus. It hasn't arrived yet, but that's okay with her. She just sits and pats her foot and she waits. Why? Because although it hasn't come, she knows it's on the way. So she's okay till it comes. Are you hearing me? When nothing is happening, just sit and wait patiently because the blessing is on the way. It doesn't matter if it's spring, summer, winter, or fall, or midnight, or morning. I may have to weep for a little while tonight, but don't you worry about me because joy is coming in the morning simply because I am blessed. And I just sit at the bus stop and wait because I know the bus, the blessing is on the way. Because I know, he said, he will never leave me, nor will he ever forsake me. He may not be there when you want it, but he'll be there right on time. Now, I asked the Lord what to be blessed means. He said, it's the uncanny, innate ability to succeed over adversity. Innate means it's been there from the beginning. You were born with it. You were born blessed with the ability to overcome adversity. God put it in your survival instincts. So if it's the uncanny, innate ability to exceed over adversity, then that tells me I can be blessed and still have adversity. He said it's the adversity that lets me know I'm blessed and highly favored of God. 
You see, if you weren't going anywhere or favored by God, the enemy wouldn't be fighting you like he does. So you see, every one of us was born with a destiny and a purpose. But do you realize how many of us aren't walking in the spirit, but we are fulfilling the lust of our flesh, doing our plans, not God's plan, just doing whatever we see right in our own eyes? Well, those kind of folks don't worry your adversary. You're already defeated when you're out of the will of God. The enemy is just concerned about those who are answering their call to help advance the kingdom of God. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy you. You can tell when a person is blessed. It's not because they don't, do, don't go through anything. But when you're blessed, regardless of what you go through, hell or high water, you always come out of and you live to fight for another day. You may have dirt under your fingernails where you've had to scratch to survive. You may have calluses on your knees where you had to pray day and night to make it through. You may smell like smoke because you've been going through the fire, but you're not burnt. When it's all said and done, when the dust settles, you come out blessed because no weapon formed against you shall prosper. They may slander you. They may gossip about you. They may hate on you, but it's not going to work. They can't curse what God has blessed. Say, I'm blessed. Now, some of you right now are going through tough struggles, and I come to tell you the devil's a liar. It's not going to work. Regardless of the adversity, you're still going to be blessed. You were blessed going into the mess, and you're going to be blessed coming out of the mess. Come on, I'm feeling a breakthrough happening here tonight. Somebody just got a spiritual B12 shot and just realized I'm made more than a conqueror. And I hear someone saying, you mean this isn't going to destroy me? That's right. The trial he put you through last year, it didn't work. The trial you went through last week, month didn't work. The trial you went through last week didn't work. And this one isn't going to work either. This thing you're going through isn't unto death, but it's so that God can be glorified through your life. I'll tell you what, let's really make the enemy look like a fool. If anybody in this room has been through hell and back and you made it, stand to your feet as a testimony to God's blessing and give God praise one more time. Shout, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Say it again. Praise God. I feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit in this place. Aren't you glad you didn't stay home? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. This is what you got to understand. The devil knows you're blessed, and he's worried about it. You could, you could become his worst enemy. You could punch holes in his kingdom, and he really wants to stop you, but in order for him to do what he wants to do to you, he knows he's got to get you out of your place of blessing, whether it be your home your marriage, your ministry, or your mission. But if he takes you, because if he takes you away from your blessing, he can mislead you into failure. He's got to do something to get you out of the house. See, as long as the younger brother was in his father's house, he was blessed. He had everything. So if the enemy could convince him the grass was greener on the other side, he could destroy him. If he left his place where God was blessing him, you know, uh, you know how the enemy convinces you? He uses temptation. And young people, be listening. That little Romeo you think is all that ain't nothing but a joker. Your enemy is using to lure you out of the house, the place of blessing. You got it all right now. You're doing okay. But you leave your place of blessing. I'm here to tell you, in six months, your whole life will be nothing but turmoil. And you'll be sitting all alone and wondering, what happened? How did I get in this place? I'll tell you how. The enemy used someone to assist in destroying you. He had an accomplice. So don't get so upset with your daddy every time you bring someone home to meet him. And when you get there, he starts cleaning his gun.
So what the enemy does, he places a spirit of restlessness on you that will cause you to pursue temptation, painting you a picture of a, or a false hope as to go searching for a pot at the end of the rainbow. That spirit is dominating our culture today like never before, especially in this young generation, our kids and our grandkids. My precious, sweet, little, beautiful granddaughter, if she has to sit silent for five minutes, it's, Papa, I'm bored. You want to know what is causing our society to go so mad? Restless spirits. Searching the world for something the world can't give them other than pleasure for a season. Then it chews them up and spits them out broken and bruised. You want to know what is causing Christian men and women to give up their salvation for things of the flesh? You want to know what's even causing grown men and women to do things you never dreamed they would do, such as walk out on 30 years of marriage? It's a spirit. It's a restless spirit. It causes you not to be committed or faithful. Cause causes you to be, to be impatient. And when you need to let patience do its perfect work, cause you to pursue food for the flesh. It causes people to be willing to leave their place of blessing and being sifted by Satan. Wake up, people. When I'm talking about staying in a blessed place, I'm talking about staying in a place of covering where the riches of God are coming to pass in your life. There are places that God has that were places where God blesses you. To a place of contentment where you realize, as Paul did, you're blessed whether you're abased or abounding. You have a, whether you have a little or you have a lot, you're blessed. Where you flee from the very appearance of evil. You don't go and become unequally yoked. Now, I want to tell you, there are four blessed places you've got to stay in and hold on to and don't let nobody lure you out of places of God's blessings. There are places that God blesses. And number one, stay in the sanctity of marriage. Marriage is important to God. He instituted and declared he blesses it between a man and a woman. Somebody say amen. See, it's more than a civil contract with the state of Missouri. It is a covenant that you made with God. And he has to bless it. So invest your life in the covenant of your marriage. You vowed for richer or poorer, better or worse, in sickness and health. You vowed it. You're to keep it. It is a place of blessing. But yet a restless spirit will cause you to walk out of it. 60% of marriages end the divorce, in and out of the church. People walking out of the place of blessing because of a restless spirit that led them to temptation. And many end up in a place of destruction. The majority of them, either one or both parties, when they dissolve their marriage, they enter into the world for a season where Satan can attempt to destroy them. I see it all the time. Marriage is a covenant. It's a shelter. It's a shelter for your passions and intimacy, even for your dysfunctions. It is a gift God has given to you when he saw it wasn't good for you to be alone. Now, the next place, best place to be blessed, to hold on to, is your ministry. Don't give up on or leave your ministry. It's a place where God blesses you. I've seen so many throw in the towel and then go sit and become lost, bitter, cynical, analytical, hurt, wounded. Your blessing becomes a curse. Don't leave your place of blessing. Just because it gets hard at times, stay in the house. People who don't stay in the place of blessing don't do well when they leave it. The next place of blessing, the church house, God's house. Stay in the house. This place is so much more than just being a social club. 
Because when God gets ready to send a word of deliverance and shower his people with blessings, if you're not here in the house, you can't hear it, nor can you receive it. Somebody needs to really hear this message tonight, but they didn't come. And no matter how much you tell them tomorrow what God did tonight, they still can't receive the electrifying touch of God because you had to be there to get the full effect of his power. So when God is blessing this place, you've got to stay in God's house. Watch someone who gets out of church and watch them stumble and fall to the prey of their enemy. When the glory hammer falls, you've got to be right here under it for you to experience the power of it. You miss church, you miss blessings. And number four, you've got to stay in the place of your mission. In other words, your calling, where God's called you. That's your purpose. That's your call. You've got to have a focus because the enemy will try to move you away from your marriage, your ministry, your church, or your purpose for God. There's been a lot of folks backslide over bass boats and shopping sprees. If your enemy can't get you to come out of the place of blessing, he believes he can get you to curse yourself just like Balak did. So the only thing you have to worry about is cursing yourself. Your blessing is not predicated upon what people think. It's not held up by who dislikes you or who don't believe in you or who's hating on you. When God gets ready to bless you, he's going to bless you in spite of what folks think about you. He'll even use your enemy to bless you if he has to. When God gets ready to open a door, he will prepare a table for you, for you in the presence of your enemy. The only thing you have to worry about is that you don't curse yourself. You see, the enemy knew the only way he could get his hands on the prodigal son was for him to get him to leave the house, his place of blessing. How many know your enemy plots against you and waits for you to catch you when you're most vulnerable to seduce you, to deceive you, and mislead you? But he can't curse what God has blessed. So unless you put yourself in places where God can't bless you, he can't destroy you. So he sent a restless spirit upon this boy. And we have never seen so many restless spirits upon people as we do now. Folks that are in and out of the church. Folks can't sit still. Folks who can't wait. Folks who can't commit to nothing. In and out. They're up and they're down. They're over here and they're over there. That's a restless spirit. Everybody wondering what's going on. I'm trying to tell you. Our enemy is at work and what he's doing is working. And I've come to tell you and expose to you the tactics of our enemy to you. Folks don't know what to do because they don't know what they want. They want this then they want that, then that is not what they want. They'd rather have this, and it's causing chaos in this generation, and God is not the author of confusion. Nothing satisfies, nothing's long-term. Attention spans are five minutes and shrinking. I heard a woman say one Sunday at a restaurant, I won't sit under a long-winded preacher. If he can't tell me what he wants to tell me to know in 15 minutes, I'm out of there. Well, she's not the only one that feels that way. Why? Restless spirits. Now I'm fixing to get real right here with you. I'm fixing to say some things that need to be said that should have been said probably a long time ago. If we don't start being relevant and dealing with these things so that we can counter these things and the plots of our enemy, we're going to be a society that's, not, that's going to be like a runaway train. So let me first remind you before I say these things, I love you. Say, I love you, Randy. So you know what I'm fixing to say to you is out of love. People are always in a hurry, faster and faster and faster. Everything we build, everything we do, everything we order must be faster. 
People get up and they spend two hours getting ready to come to church. And they drive here. And then they rush in to get a seat. And then they sit there and in 15 minutes they're ready to go. They're already restless. They're already ready to go home. And after 10 minutes into a sermon, some even pull out their iPhones, none of you all, and sit and talk and text folks who aren't even here. And when the altar call starts, they hit the doors and hurry home to sit in their chairs to this chair. It's a rest of spirit. They climb into their recliner, and they flip channels after channels after channels, and they're never watching anything. And we got fat people who want to be skinny. we got skinny people who want to put weight on. we got young folks who want to be older. And we got older folks putting on short dresses trying to look younger. Folks who got long hair cutting it off. And we got people with no hair trying to glue it on. Folks who have a job and are quitting their job. People who don't have jobs looking for jobs. Folks at this factory quitting to work at that factory. And folks at that factory quitting to work at this factory. It is a restless spirit. We got folks who are married who want to be single. We got folks single who want to be married. You want to get rid of your husband and single women are waiting at the door shouting, throw him, him, him over here to me. But when they get him, they want to throw him back to you. We got folks selling $150 Nike shoes for $15 at their yard sale. Mama had to work overtime to buy them, but now you don't want them. Nike got a new style coming out. Mama got to go to work late again tonight. Men and women on Facebook turning into a playbook. I don't have to go any further with that. When that's you, you know what I'm talking about. Your wife's in the kitchen cooking while you're on the internet in the bedroom looking for your next wife. It is a restless spirit. It is a runaway spirit that caused you to run away from the places of blessings that God has put in your life. Hallelujah. When a runaway spirit gets down deep inside of you, you sit over here and you wish you was over there. So you move over there and now you want to be back over here. You got a closet full of clothes, but yet you got nothing to wear. Ooh, I don't like that one. I wish they didn't have to say that one. So let's move on. A pilot was talking to his co-pilot. He told him, he said, when he was up in the plane flying over his body of water. He said, when I was a little boy, I remember sitting down there on that ditch bank right there fishing. And as I was watching, I looked up, I seen a plane fly over. And as I was sitting there fishing, I wished, boy, I was up there flying that plane. He said, now that I got a plane, and now I'm up here flying this plane, he said, I wish I was back down there on that fishing bank fishing. And that's just where a lot of us are. We want it both ways. Folks want their cake, and they want to eat it too. But Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You can't have one foot in the church and one foot in the world and be blessed. God has places that he puts you in to bless you. And Satan will send a runaway spirit into your life. This spirit is destroying marriages today. First time it gets a little tough. To make ends meet, someone wants to run away. If you don't plant your feet, you're always going to be running away. You have a restless spirit. You have no endurance. This spirit will cause you to run away from your marriage, your ministry, your church, your mission, your call. And if the enemy can get you away from your house, the place of blessing, he's going to destroy you and your stuff. Because he's come to kill, steal, and destroy. The Lord has sent me to get this urgent message to somebody who's in a faith fight, considering giving up or running away. To tell you tonight, stay in the house. I don't care what's going on. Even if you feel like nobody cares, stay. Even if you're wounded or discouraged, stay. Even if you're broke, busted, and disgusted, stay. Even if you're going through hell, stay. Because they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings of eagle. They shall run and not get weary. They shall walk and not faint. See, the biggest mistake the young man made was... His restless spirit caused him to leave the house 
And as a result, he becomes a prodigal. The word prodigal means reckless. The enemy sent the rest of the spirit on the boy, then he began to tempt him. Restless folks are vulnerable. The enemy gave him an itch he had to scratch. The enemy would speak to him, come on, come on out and play. You don't know what you're missing. You can have it all. The grass is greener over here. Somebody in this house has heard that voice before. And somebody's heard it, and you went out and played. How's that working for you? Yeah, God's talking to you. Come on, just a little bit farther. You're almost there. Come on out. Come on out where I can reach you. See, I tried to cue you in that car wreck, but I just couldn't reach you. I tried to take you out when you were in the hospital, but I just couldn't reach you. But if I can get you out from under his blessing, get you to walk away from it, I'll get you. Devil told that same story to God about Job. Come on out. I've been trying to drive you crazy for some time now, trying to get you to have a nervous breakdown. And you've been blaming your husband, but it's been me all along. Trying to convince you you need a better man, one with money. Come on, just a little closer. Come on out of the house so I can touch you. The prodigal son gave into his rest of spirit. He bought into just do it. When he first came out, things weren't that bad. Matter of fact, he was living it up. He had friends and good times, and I'm sure he thought to himself, I should have done this a long time ago. You see, when you've been blessed, you can walk out and remain blessed for a little while, but when your pleasure becomes sin, sin separates you from God and his blessings, and you curse yourself because sin has pleasure for a season. He was living it up, believing he had the best of both worlds, and that's what restless people want. They want both. And the Bible implies that if you stay out long enough away from the blesser, you will start wasting your substance in riotous living. Another word I like to use here is unrighteous living. I'm so glad it said wasted his substance and not just his money. Because if it would just said he'd just spend his money, you would come to believe the only thing you lose when you live unrighteous is your money. When the truth is you lose so much more than money, things that money can't even buy. Let me tell you the real deal when you start living unrighteous. You lose more than just your finances. You lose stuff much more valuable. You lose your integrity, your reputation, your respect, your self-esteem, your self-respect, your home, your family, your marriage, your friends, your stuff. You can't afford to lose your substance, your determination, your survival instincts, your salvation. Because what does a man profit to gain the whole world only to lose your soul? There's someone right here now in this house, God's dealing with you, and he's drawing at your heart, saying, don't go any further. Come back home. You cannot afford to lose your stuff that matters, your substance. That stuff that God made you out of, to where you can take a licking and you can still keep on ticking. It makes you strong. You can lose your job and get another job. You can lose your house, and you can get another house. You can lose your hair, and you can get some more hair. But if you lose your substance, your enemy will destroy you. It says he wasted his substance. And once he had, things began to change. Pleasure was fixing to turn into shame. And the whole time, the enemy's saying, come on, just a little bit further. Sin will take you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. And the Bible says that when he had spent all he had, a famine arose in the land. Well, not only in the land in his case, it also arose in his life. He was famished. No substance left. No friends. No more parties. No more food. 
You see, some stuff can't happen till you go broke. As long as you got a little anointing still in you, as long as you got a little shout here and there still in you, a little thank you Jesus left in you, not quite at the bottom of the barrel, but when you go broke, when you lose your substance, you become famished, and your enemy will kick you when you're down. He convinces you to take one more step while he rejoices, believing that it will be your last step. That when it's all gone, you do what David said, we should never do. He, beca he began to be in want. Have you ever been there? Are you there? David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But this young man being now in want shows us where his relationship with his father is at now. Because when you get in want, you become desperate. And this is where your enemy goes in for the kill. Because desperate people are willing to do desperate things. This young man has gone from restless to desperate. A restless spirit will land you in desperation if not dealt with. So to survive, he attaches himself to the citizen in a far-off land. But let me make an observation here. I know we're too high-minded to judge ourselves, but if we really want to know who we are, look at who you run with, who you've attached yourself to. Who do you feel comfortable with? How do you spell relief? Who calls you and who do you talk to the most? Who do you run with? Because people run in packs. Gossipers will run with gossipers. All the liars will form a liar's club. Backbiters gather together at the, at the restaurant after service for lunch. But you don't fit in because you're a praying woman. Be careful. You're sitting there frustrated. They didn't invite you. But maybe God didn't want you in that clique. So quit crying about who don't like you. Quit crying about who don't call you. And quit crying about who don't visit you. God may be protecting you. Who you attach yourself to is important. Don't become unequally yoked. Desperation will cause you to compromise and hook up with people, folks, you shouldn't. You're just ready to get married. You don't care if he's a Christian or not. It's been long said you're all known by the company you keep. You might be lonely, but at least you're saved. Maybe crying yourself to sleep, but still you got your dignity. You may have to eat all by yourself. At least there's not writing about you on topics today. You still got your respect. Watch who you get tied up with intentionally and wisely choose your company, as we talked about last week. Some of y'all need to cut some folks loose to friends of people on your Facebook account. I don't mind running with someone who don't have nothing, but I do got a problem running around with someone who don't want to be anything. I don't want to be tied up with someone who don't have no desire for the things of God. Grandma said, if you lay down with dogs, you're going to get up with fleas. I need to be around folks who lift me up who don't tear me down, who encourage me and don't discourage me. If you're not going to help me, please turn me loose. Now let's continue. He was so desperate, he was willing to do anything. The enemy had him right where he wanted him. He agrees to work on a pig farm, finding swine, feeding swine all day long. He's in the mud and waste, a place, a far cry from where he was raised. And the enemy is loving this, and he's fixing to come in for the kill. You do know your enemy celebrates at your failures, don't you? All that was around him was swine. Have you ever been there? Look around you and all you see is swine. Swiney folks can't encourage you. They got more problems than you. They can't help you. They can't even help themselves. The prodigal had taken one more step down in life, and you can always tell when you're about to take your last step. Because when it's your last step, you start to look at things differently. Things that never look good to you begin to look good to you. 
Things you said you would never do, you're willing to do. Things you said you would never eat, you're willing to eat. Desperation pushes you across the line. He was so famished, he began to desire to eat what the pigs were eating. If you get desperate enough, you'll find yourself desiring to do things you used to criticize other folks for doing. This was the final straw. This was the end of the road. This was his last step. This was the bottom of the barrel, as low as he could go. How low can you go? So here he is, desperate, desiring to eat what the pigs eat. I can see him reaching down to pick up a corn husk that don't even taste good. Here he is about to. He's almost done it. Everybody in this room has got stuff in your past that you almost done. And looking back, you thank God you didn't do it. It was a trap. It was a snare the enemy had set for you to take you out to destroy your dignity, your respect, your self-esteem, your marriage, or your ministry. There are some folks in here right now, the Word of God is here to rescue you because you made a horrible mistake, to rescue before you make a horrible mistake because you've almost, he's almost, and demons are rejoicing, Satan's shouting, I got him now. There's folks in here, you've been, you've been, Lonely and depressed, and you have almost, you've been on the verge of. That's why I praise him. I know folks are always talking about what, praising him for what he forgave you of. I do praise him for what he forgave me of, of what I did. But I also praise him for keeping me from what I almost did all the more. Because I was tempted to do a lot more than I did. And if I would have, it would have destroyed me. I would have took my last step to failure. I can't tell you all the things I thought about and almost did, but I can tell you, had it not been for the Lord on my side, I don't know where I would be tonight. How about you? I might have been dead by now. I might have been insane by now. I might have been in jail by now. When I look back and know what I know now, I can see all the snares that the enemy had set for my life. He literally, folks, tried to kill me, but my God wouldn't let him. And that's why you're still here, too. It's amazing how God will stop by in the nick of time. When you're about to take your last step, your last breath, and save you. I hear people all the time, after going through a close call with death, say, God must have had something else for me. I should have been dead. He must not have been through with me yet. You got that right. Right when he was about to take his last step, the Bible says, he almost, then suddenly... He came to himself. Hallelujah. I remember the day and the hour that I came to myself to you. God showed up and he rescued me, rescued my life, rescued me with open arms. You see, when he came to himself, the enemy's plan was over. His eyes had been opened. Like waking up out of a bad dream, he began to realize he'd went too far, that he didn't belong there. He declared, I'm going home. I'm going back to the house. <clears throat> the place of blessing. Servants have it better back there than I have it here. I'm going to go back and serve my father. To everyone that's left their place of blessing, to everyone that has almost, are you getting this? There is a way back to the father's house. And your heavenly father is speaking to you, come home. Come to yourself. He went home and he humbled himself for his father and said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And he repented. And all you have to do is come home to the Father and repent. The Bible says when the young man was arriving back home, his father had been waiting on him all this time. And as soon as he saw him, he ran and he embraced his son. 
There is a heavenly father waiting on you tonight who will run to you and embrace you. And all you have to do is start heading back home. I'd like for my musicians to come. I want to obey the Holy Spirit right now. There's two calls tonight that God wants to make to this congregation. I'd ask you if you would stand with me, please, as the musicians come. This restless spirit is at work largely in our culture right now. It's working in our young people. It's working overtime in their lives. But not just the young, even the older. I see people at ages that you would think, man, they've settled by now, becoming unsettled, walking out on marriages of 20, 30-year, 40-year marriages, walking out. What's going on? It's a restless spirit. You're, you're being driven, and that restless spirit is leading you to temptation, and then you're giving into temptation. And all that is about that the enemy wants to try to destroy you. He wants to try to kill you and your dreams and the blessings. But the key to it is staying in the place of blessing, staying in the house of blessing, staying in this church. This is the place of blessing. Staying in those other four things I talked about, your marriage, it's a place of blessing. God blesses marriages. He blesses that covenant. Staying in your place of ministry. He blesses those who help further the kingdom of God. Staying in your call and your purpose. He's called you and he'll bless it. He'll give you provision for the vision. But God is looking and seeing so many people throwing up their hands and walking out on things that God blessed you with. And you don't feel like you're blessed anymore. You don't realize you're blessed anymore because the enemy has lied to you. And he's trying to get you out of your place of blessing so that he can destroy you. And so many people are at that place of almost. You haven't done it yet, but almost. I've thought about it. I've thought about quitting. I've thought about leaving. I've thought about giving up. I've thought about throwing it away. And God's saying it's your blessing. It's really a place of blessing. And if you don't heed to this word, God says, you will find out like the prodigal son did. The enemy is luring you away. And when he gets you away from where your place of blessing, then he will want to destroy you. And there are some people who are like the prodigal son. You did walk away. You did give up. And enemies lied to you and told you you're done. You're about to take your last step. And God says tonight, don't. Stop. Come home. The Father's waiting for you. And he's ready to bless you. If you'll come back to the place of blessing. Every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment, please. <laughs>